Welcome to the Redeem Evangelical Mission Tram Atlanta. This is a place where we gather together in quality praise and worship of the true and living God. Equipped with the world of God for growth and fellowship with one another. God bless you as you listen to this message. It's a great joy once again to minister on this platform. Uh, there is great grace and honor and virtue from this platform uh, because of the leadership of this ministry that is enduring, that is stable, that is exemplary. We thank you so much, Bishop Mike. Uh, Bishop Peace, thank you so much for your friendship. Uh, we don't take it lightly at all to know you and to be associated with you. And thank you for your uh, continued confidence in us to invite us back uh, every year. And uh, we are honored that you consider us to be your partners in ministry. Uh, although we are nowhere near where you are, uh, but uh, it's good to be called to come up sometimes. And we thank you, sir. Thank you, sir, so much. Uh, I, I'm doing the first session, and uh, afterwards, uh, my dear friend Bishop Tudor Bismarck, I tell him I want to be able to preach like him. I don't know how he does it, but uh, you have to teach me. <laughs> you have to teach me. You can't keep it to yourself. Yeah. Well, uh, since the theme of the conference is, is Jesus, I, I am trying to stay uh, with Jesus. So I'm teaching uh, on living like Jesus, living like Jesus. Um, the unique mark of the Christian life and the life that Jesus lived and which he commanded us to live is love. Jesus himself said that his disciples will be known by their love for one another as well as their love for the world. I think sometimes uh, of late it would seem as if that what he commanded us to live is power. And much as we are very uh, excited about the power of the Holy Spirit, the primary commandment that Jesus gave us was love. And the Christian life is a life of love. And, and, and so I'm going to talk about it very briefly uh, as we explore what Jesus said. And I'm going to start from um, John chapter 3, verse 16, the very popular passage uh, from John's gospel for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life for God so loved so loved it's talking about an extensive and expansive love for God so loved it's not just God just loved but he loved with a huge capacity. Um, 
And then 1st John chapter 4 verse 11 1st John chapter 4 verse 11 If God so loved us We also ought to love one another God so loved If he so loved us We ought to love one another So God's love for us Must be seen in our love one for another and both of those verses are key to our christian life to our salvation to our walk uh, as christians uh, it is how we leave behind a testimony it is how we transform a nation the early christians changed the world they lived in basically because of love you have to understand that christianity was a subculture in the roman empire the jews themselves were a tiny group in the roman empire there were other bigger societies and christians were a subgroup of the jews so in terms of prominence the church did not have prominence but what marked the church out was love uh, in those days during plagues when sicknesses and disease came people would leave their loved ones out to die because there was no hospital and there was no care the Christians were the ones who cared for the sick and 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 and, and helped sick people and people could not understand how these groups of people would so care for the dead that they would put their life at risk and it was that continuous showing of love that touched the world the world was divided between different social groups those who were up those who were down different tribes different groups the church was the community where love was so pervasive that there was neither jew nor gentile there was neither barbarian nor scythian there was not male nor female but everybody came there was not bond or free but they came and worship Jesus Christ and that love is what changed the world and if we want to see revival in our nations it's not just going to come through massive churches as much as it's important to have massive churches and large numbers of people going to church if those people going to church have no capacity or let me put it they have capacity but choose not to reflect the love of Christ then we may see some demonstration of power but very little transformation of our society love is the foundation of the Christian life and I will jump to Matthew's gospel chapter 22 as I progress with my thought Matthew chapter 22 and verses 34 to 40 Matthew 22 34 to 40 but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees they gathered together the one of them a lawyer asked him a question testing him and saying teacher which is the great commandment in the law I want you to note the question carefully which is the great commandment in the law not just which is the great commandment an open sentence but which is the great commandment in the law 
Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. All the law and the prophets. That statement, the law and the prophets, uh, means the Old Testament. It's hung around these two. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I want you to remember the question that Jesus is answering, which is the great commandment in the law. So his answer has to be in the law. And he gives these two answers. You shall love the Lord. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So where did Jesus get his answer from? He got his first answer from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 5. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. This is the foundational proclamation and prayer of Israel. It's called the Shema. The Shema means here. And so they would announce here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with all your Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. So this, Jesus says, is the first one. He's answering the question in the law, which is the greatest. So he quotes the law and says, this is the greatest. And then uh, Leviticus chapter 19, verses 17 to 18, says, you shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So both of the commandments that Jesus talked about, you shall love the Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, all your strength, is from the law. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, is from the law. You know, sometimes people uh, easily think that the Old Testament is a very cruel world where uh, wickedness is permitted. But this is the Old Testament. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus is talking about the law. Now, he's not talking about his commandment. He's talking about the law. And so the answer Jesus gives 
as right as it is, it's not the final answer on the question of love. Love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. It is strong, it is biblical, but there is a basic underlying question. What if I don't love myself? Because the law presupposes that you love yourself and that you extend the same love you have for yourself to your neighbor. What if I hate myself? Am I permitted? <laughs> yeah. Something is happening somewhere. <laughs> so if I hate you, or if I hate myself, can I say that I hate myself, so I hate you too? My father did not treat me well, so I'm not going to treat anybody well. My parents denied me, so I'm going to deny everybody because that is how I see myself. I am a deprived person. I have the right to deprive you. So love your neighbor as yourself as powerful as it is, is a relative love. The love for God is an absolute one. You love the Lord your God with everything you have, but you love your neighbor as yourself. The problem with that is a lot of people don't know how to love themselves. A lot of people hate themselves. They have been taught to dislike themselves so they treat everybody based on the way they perceive themselves. I will not forget years ago, I think probably about 1990 or thereabouts, 1991, somewhere there, I was preaching somewhere outside this country and uh, I preached a message that related to black people and their presence in the Bible. And, and all of that. And a, a black woman, a lady, came to me after the service. He says, you have no idea how your word has liberated me. And she says she works for American Airline and as a, a flight attendant. And, and she says, anytime I see a black person in first class, I just get angry. That's strange. We thought only white people have problem with uh, black people. But she says, I, I have problem with black people. When I see them, he says, I go out of my way to mistreat them. Because she says, I had self-hatred as a black person. And I couldn't stand a black person doing well. Now you may shake your head. But you may then have to ask yourself, do we also have that liability? Is it possible that one of the reasons why we are not able to promote one another and lift one another up is simply because there is a self-hatred and that self-hatred translates into our treatment of one another? That when one is going up, we need to bring them down because we ourselves have a liability in our being. 
so then even love itself does not help us function well because we are the measure of love so if you are the measure of love then woe on the world because your own limitations will then be transferred to other people love your neighbor as yourself so this is what jesus says the law says but not what i say because the question is the law i give you the law now let us see jesus's measure of love john chapter 13 verse 34 to 35 a new commandment i give you so he's about to go beyond the old testament he's now establishing a new foundation for the behavior of his disciples a new commandment i give you that you love one another as i have loved you that you also love one another by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have loved one another for one another the law says you love your neighbor as yourself jesus says in the new commandment you love your neighbor as i love you so therefore you are not the measure and the determinant of how you love people you are not the measure and the determinant of how you love you cannot say uh, this is how I feel and I'm going to love you my own way no you can't love people your own way as a Christian I'm excluded from making myself the measure of love I have to love as Christ loved not as myself not as Nigerians love not as my tribe loves we love as Christ loved us now that's a totally new measurement and that measurement therefore changes our approach that is why the disciples of Jesus in the early centuries the first century changed the world that is why they act in such a way that even for those who persecuted them eventually adopted their faith the Roman Empire adopted Christianity as a state religion because they understood how to love their neighbor as Christ has loved us the love in the Christian life is a painful demand on our flesh because your flesh does not want to love people as Christ has loved us your flesh says I have to be the first because I, I hear people some always saying love yourself first before you love people that is the law if we love as Christ loves the church then we love by first giving of ourselves first giving of ourselves that is living as Christ lived 
Christ is the measure of love. In a practical way, in a practical way, love has two main faces or two main expressions. I'm going to focus on one. Uh, the first one is giving. And the second one is forgiving. Love is giving and forgiving. If you, if you cannot say I love and be stingy. You cannot say I love and not give. That is why you cannot say I love God and not give to him. You cannot say I love my wife and not give to her. I love my husband and not give to her. I love my children and not give to them. I love my church and not give to the church. I love my church members and not give to the church members. Love expresses itself in giving. For God so loved that he gave. But love is also forgiving. Between giving and forgiving, I'm not sure which is easier. I think giving is easier. But forgiving is hard. Because forgiving has to do with not just initiating by giving, but responding. And response is always more difficult than initiation. If I initiate my action, it's easier. So, so for example, uh, I have money. Let's say I have a, a lot of Naira. And, and, and so I, I take my money and I give it to you. That's easier. But when you slap me, I am no longer in control because you have taken an action and I have to respond. At that point, I am reacting because forgiveness is always a reaction. And reaction is difficult because somebody has acted. And the person who has acted is now expecting your reaction. Now you have to determine whether my reaction will be based on his action or I will initiate an action by myself that is not in response to his action. That is how forgiveness works. You have an action against you, but you determine that what you're going to do is not in proportion to what has been done against you. Is that easy? No. Do I practice it all the time? No. Do I miss the point? Yes. Do, are there people I really wish that God will never forgive all the days of their lives? Yes. Are there people that I, I wish that they will suffer shame and disgrace and know that it is because of me they are suffering that? Yes. I want God to remind them why they are suffering it is because of my son you mess his life and i'm messing your life 
because you messed him. It's like how the mafia killed people. Before they kill you, they would say, this is for Don so and so. So you would know that just before you died, this die is not an accident. <laughs> it was planned and it's been executed. Now, most of us have that same mafia instinct that God will punish people and let them know that it's because of you. So do I feel like that? Yes. But then I am bound. I am bound by Jesus Christ. I am bound by him. I cannot, I cannot say because I feel it, it should happen. Because if I want to live like Jesus, then I have to walk in the love of Jesus. Is that easy? No. It's not easy. Because most of us want to walk in the power of Jesus. Want to cast out demons like Jesus. I don't know why we like that one. Cast out demons. <laughs> we, we want to heal the sick like Jesus. We want to walk on water like Jesus. And it's all good that we do all of those things in Jesus' name. But he actually says the first thing we should do is to love as he loved. To love as he loved. And the way to do that is in forgiveness. Exodus chapter 34, from verse 5 to 7. Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there, that's Moses, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. There are two sides of God that he reveals here. It's what I call his mercy side and his judgment side. Six manifestations of his mercy. Compassion, his concern for us. Grace, his favor towards us. Forbearance, suffering long or being patient with us. Goodness, generosity, truth, keeping his word. And finally, forgiveness, canceling our debts to him. Like two sides of a coin, there is the mercy side of God and then there is the judgment side. He says, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. He holds the guilty accountable and he punishes sin for generations. So God's forgiveness does not mean that then whatever a person does, there are no consequences. The person's actions will have consequences. But God's forgiveness is available to anybody who comes to receive it. There is the mercy side of God and then there is the judgment side of God. And I'm not going to talk about the judgment of God because that's a totally different subject and I can go on to talk about how God judges uh, uh, our sins. But let's look at the extent of God's forgiveness. 
Micah chapter 7 verse 18 to 19 who is a God like you pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage he does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy he will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities and will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea God pardons our sins he passes over our sins he subdues our sins he casts our sins into the sea in Psalm 103 verses 11 to 13 for as the heavens are high above the earth so great is his mercy toward those who fear him for as far as the east is from the west so far has he removed our transgressions from us Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18 come now and let us reason together says the Lord though your sins are like scarlet they shall be as white as snow though they are red like crimson they shall be as wool God is a God of mercy is a God of compassion is a God of grace is a God of forgiveness his nature is what he wants us to imitate and we'll just go into the New Testament and look at a couple of things that uh, Jesus Christ said Matthew chapter 6 the teaching of the Lord's Prayer from verse 9 in this manner therefore pray our Father in heaven hallowed be thy name or your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever amen then verse 14 for if you forgive men their trespasses your heavenly father will also forgive you but if you do not forgive them their trespasses neither will your heavenly father forgive your trespasses it's very curious when you look at the Lord's Prayer from beginning every statement has no condition our father in heaven hallowed be your name it didn't say hallowed be your name if you are eternal hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come not thy kingdom come when we pray thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven no condition give us this day our daily bread no condition forgive us our debts condition It is the only part of the prayer that God responds to in reaction to what we do. And then after that, Jesus made further commentary on forgiveness. Now, does it mean that if a person does not forgive people, he will not be born again? He will be born again. You will be born again and you will go to heaven. But all the small, small sins you are committing after you get born again, God says, if you hold on forgiveness in your heart, I will also withhold forgiveness from you. I will withhold forgiveness from you. That's God speaking. 
So he made us partners with him in forgiveness. If I want God not to hold something I have done, not relating to salvation, but something I have done against me, then I have to act according to his word, the words of Jesus. You forgive our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. So forgiveness is a big deal. It's a big deal. We cannot hold unforgiveness in our hearts forever, in our families, in our marriages. I can guarantee you, if we just practice forgiveness, almost all marriage problems will be solved. There will be no divorce in the church if husbands and wives practice forgiveness. Because basically, Jesus said that Moses or the law permitted forgiveness because of the hardness of heart of the people. What does it mean? The unforgiveness of the people. Their heart is hard. They're not ready to give in. They're not ready to make amends. They want to prove their point. If the church of Jesus Christ must set an example in our marriages, in our businesses, in our churches, in our homes, in our families, then there has to be the love of God manifested in forgiveness. That's the life of Jesus. Following Jesus is taking up the cross and following him, patterning our lives after Jesus Christ. Is it easy? No. But it should be our heart desire that we pursue Christ to be like him. And when Jesus carried his cross to Calvary and they started nailing him to the cross, he prayed one of those prayers that it's just overwhelming. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I've heard somebody say that Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So if they know what they are doing, Father, forgive, don't forgive them. It's, it's a, it's, it's a nice uh, comical way of looking at scripture, but this is one of the ways where we misappropriate scripture. Did Jesus know the people and what they were doing? Do you know the people he was talking to? Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. Two groups of people, the Jews, they knew what they were doing. But the Romans, that he said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they, they were specialists in, in, in crucifixion. They, that was their job. They knew what they were doing. They felt they were, they were getting an enemy out of the way. Everybody knew what they were doing. Jesus says, Father, forgive them because I myself, I have overlooked what they are doing.
I am not holding it to their account. They don't know what they are doing. I see them as ignorant people. Not because Jesus had no sense of what the people were doing. But he chose not to hold it to their account. Isn't it amazing that later on Rome, which crucified Jesus, became the center of Christianity? What if Jesus had held their sin against them? You remember when Stephen was being stoned? He prayed a similar prayer. He said, Lord Jesus, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. Forgive them. And there was a young man there called Saul. He later became a Christian and wrote much of the New Testament because Stephen withheld judgment from Saul. If we want Christ to be seen in our families, go to your family and forgive people. Forgive your brothers. Forgive your sisters. Forgive your parents. Forgive your children. Forgive members of your church. The head of your department in the church. Forgive your boss. And go and pray and say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. And whilst you are praying that prayer, you'll be crying. Because everything in you is saying the opposite. Father, kill them. For they know exactly what they are doing. <laughs> the life of Christ is a life of the cross. Imitating Christ is not natural to anybody. It's not your natural response. It's not my natural response. Becoming like Jesus is not the easiest thing for anybody. Sometimes it takes a long time to forgive people. I remember my own father. It took me a long time to forgive my father. Even after he had died, I couldn't forgive him. When I hear his name, I get angry. I see his picture, I get angry. Because he caused so much pain to our family. I think he didn't know what he was doing. But in my mind, I said, he knew what he was doing. And it took me a long time. And I remember the day I, I forgave him. He had died for a long time and I was praying and I felt it's time to let go. It's time. He can't even apologize. Even if he felt wrong, he can't. He's gone. And I started praying and I was just, I broke down. I was crying and crying and everything just started coming back. Memories started coming back. But I just said, Lord, I forgive him. I forgive him. Lord, I forgive him. And gradually I saw all the pain just going away. I couldn't talk about my father kindly 
Anytime I talk about him, something violent will rise inside of me. Now I can talk of him, I can even joke about him because I learned at a point to forgive, but it came in a hard way. It came in a hard way. I suppose it is, it is God's own way to say, but you are also a father and your children may have to forgive you too because you have no idea how your children feel about you. The time when you were whipping them, you know, these days that the children grow up and they say, I was traumatized. <laughs> I was traumatized when you took the belt and up to this time I shiver anytime I see belt. Then you realize you are not as perfect as you think you are. So Jesus says, we forgive as the Father has forgiven us. Forgiveness requires faith. And this is the last passage you'll look at. Luke chapter 17, verse 1 to 6. Jesus talking to his disciples. Then he said to the disciples, It is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. So God does not cover sin. He said that in the Old Testament. He doesn't overlook it. So Jesus says, if your father, your brother does something, talk to him about it. Your sister does something, say what you did is wrong. If they, for, they repent, forgive them. But you know, most times when we are telling people they are saying, we, we secretly wish they won't repent. Because we need the battle to continue. Aluta continua. We need the battle to continue. You wish your sister will say, I didn't do it. Then you say, yeah, now we can go on. The battle can continue. And then, but when they say, I'm sorry. Many times when the people say, I'm sorry, it's almost like an anticlimax. We're building up the battle lines and now you are sorry. You are sorry. You are sorry. You think it's simple like that. You are sorry. You have repented. You think I'll just forgive because you say you are sorry. Because, because we, the battle has not ended. We, we want this thing to continue. So, so Jesus is saying, if your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. All right. What else, Jesus? And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. You know, many times I wish some things were not written in the Bible. I don't know about you. I mean, this is one of the things that you wish it was written in the book of Enoch or in the Apocrypha somewhere. So you say, it's not the canon of scripture. But this is Jesus Christ, the Lord. He's speaking. If he returns seven times in a day, 
he stamped on your feet. He said, hey, you are stamping on my feet. What, what is it? I'm sorry. Forgive him. Then <laughs> one hour later, stamp on your feet. Say, hey, what are you doing? You think I'm a fool? He says, I'm sorry. Jesus said, you shall. In other words, you have no choice. I forgive you. Then he comes again seven times. I don't know about the eighth time, but he says seven times. <laughs> then after he had said that, the apostles, <laughs> not just the disciples, the apostles, <laughs> men of God, apostles said, Lord, increase our faith. Literally, the apostles are saying, we can cast out the demons. We can raise the dead. We can do all of that. But this stuff, we don't have faith for it. Our current level of faith is not up to this level. So what do we learn from that? The forgiveness requires faith. It requires faith and faith comes by hearing the word of God for your faith to increase you have to constantly remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ and you have to remember him saying forgive you shall forgive you shall forgive you may resist for a while but somewhere in your life you must come to that realization I must forgive Wives, you must forgive. Husbands, you must forgive. Children, you must forgive. Parents, you must forgive. Pastors, you must forgive. Forgiveness requires faith. Secondly, forgiveness is a seed. Because right after that, Jesus says that if you say to this mountain, uh, uh, if you have faith like a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea and it will obey you. In other words, when you have faith, you can forgive the impossible. You can forgive the impossible. Forgiveness is like a seed that we sow because all of us require forgiveness. Forgiveness is a language. We have to say it. You can't just say, I've forgiven him in my head. I've forgiven him in my head. He says, you have to say it. You have to verbalize it. That's what Jesus tells us to do. And forgiveness is a command. Forgiveness is a command. We have no option. You can't vary it. You can't improve on the words of Jesus Christ. There is nothing greater. It's a command. In Genesis chapter 20, there's a story there of 
King Abimelech. King Abimelech almost did permanent damage to Abraham because Abraham made a very silly statement and said, my wife is my sister. And Abimelech says, if she's your sister, thank you. Then I will marry her. Now, Abraham is caught. He doesn't know what to do. So the man takes Abraham's wife to the palace, trying to prepare her for marriage. In the night, God comes to Abimelech and says, hey, 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 hey. You are about to die. <laughs> she's not a sister. She's that man's wife, and you are about to die. So go back and restore Sarah. Thank God for his intervention. I don't know what the story of the Bible would have been. And um, Isaac's father is Abimelech. <laughs> to change scripture totally <laughs> and there is Isaac son of Abimelech Abraham where is Isaac uh, Abimelech gave, gave birth to him thank God but God stopped that process so if you are Abraham you are upset who is this guy taking my wife and what, what is this so God comes and says to Abraham all right, I've given your wife back to you. Pray for Abimelech. Forgive him for attempting to steal my wife. The natural thing is let fire and thunder rest upon the house of Abimelech forever. May they know no peace. That is what a typical Nigerian will pray. God says, pray for the peace of the house of Abimelech. And so Abraham reluctantly prays for Abimelech and his wives. And one of the reasons why he wanted to take Sarah is because his wives are not having children. So he saw Sarah and thought, maybe this one will give me a child. So Abraham prays for Abimelech and his wives. And his wives conceive. And in that same year, Sarah also conceived. There is blessing in forgiveness. No wonder the scripture says that sometimes unforgiveness can be a hindrance to our prayer. It's not just how much prayer you load up, but how much you are lined up with God and his word and when you are lined up with his word he makes things happen he did the same for job job had to pray for his friends who had really been discouraging him and then god turned his captivity and gave him a double of everything that he's lost there is benefit in forgiveness and so at this Jesus conference, if we truly want to imitate Jesus, we have to love as he loved. We have to give as he gave. And we have to forgive as he forgave. God bless you.
stretch, stretch a little. Stretch your brain because of what was just given, amen. Uh, that was from Dr. Otterbill. That wasn't bones, it was a whole buffalo. Thank you for that phenomenal message, Dr. Otterbill. Can we show some love to the genius, Mr. Otterbill? To our phenomenal visionaries and hosts, such august, loving people, Bishop Michael Kwankwa, Bishop Pisa Kwankwa, full of love, compassion, care, and of course your wonderful family, the gorgeous Uche, the handsome Kachi, Kachi Ome Mani for our child. To all the leadership from the Trim leadership, I, I recognize many of you. It's good to see you, Obina. Archbishop, I love that dress. Please, can you return my suit after church? <laughs> to all of you, and of course, to our online viewers around the world, thank you for being with us these last evenings. And thank you for your feedback that you've given to us personally and to the corporate group of uh, TREM. It's so meaningful so that we know and that they know their contribution uh, in this conference and many is, is blessing so many from New Zealand all the way to the United States. So can we show our online guests some love by putting our hands together? Amen. And can you give yourselves a hand for being here this evening? Uh, Chich and I get up really early in the morning. I'm not a morning person, I'm grouchy in the mornings. But we really got up after Mike explained to us some of the economic challenges that are being experienced. And I was quite stunned to see less traffic on the roads due to the cost of fuel. No, it's not, it really isn't funny because the, the domino effect affects people way on the bottom. And so we're going to continue to play for Nigeria because generally as Ghana and Nigeria are, Zimbabwe becomes. And we don't want to become. You may be seated. I'm going to be preaching to you for about 44 minutes. And my subject this evening is entitled, Jesus Stands Alone. The incomparable Christ, the incomparable Christ. He stands in a class of his own. The scripture we have chosen for this are two, John 3 verse 34, and Hebrews 13 verse 8. And while you are going there, I'd like Chichi to stand alone so everybody can see what she's wearing. <laughs> Come on, Chichi. That's my squeeze. That's my girl. Turn around. That's where your money's going. If I ever have heart failure, it's because Chichi has given it to me. <laughs> Amen. Thank you for coming with me on this trip. John chapter number 3, verse 34. This is an amazing chapter. Uh, 
I think I'm going to spend about six months on John chapter number three because most of the conversation is to a single man who comes at midnight. And so I'm going to be dealing with midnight conversations. He's talking to Nico and he's saying to Nicodemus so many rich things, the most famous scripture in the world, John 3.16, comes at midnight and he concludes Nicodemus says, we know that our man comes from God, for no man can do these miracles except God be with him. And Jesus says, you must be born again, pushing the accolades away. And then he concludes by saying, for he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives him the spirit without measure. He gives him the spirit without measure. In other words, it is not limited. It is measureless. In Galagata, Sakawanda is massive. Say the spirit without measure. Say the spirit without measure. This Jesus without measure in terms of spirit potential lives in each of us right now which means that we have no limits in anything we attempt to do. And I'm in 13 verse 8 of Hebrews. Jesus Christ, let's say it. We sound like grade one kids, let's say it together. Jesus Amen. And is in every one of us right now. Father, add a blessing to this word. I start my clock now. About 2,000 years ago, a magnificent archangel named Gabriel left the terrestrial realm, left the celestial realm, and came to the terrestrial earth and brought a stunning message to two older people, Zachariah and Elizabeth, and told these seniors, you are going to conceive a son. He'll be a forerunner for a Messiah that has been promised for many thousands of years. You will name him John. This glamorous, splendorous archangel then visited a little town in Nazareth with a handful of people and visited an innocent young woman by the name of Mary or Maria and told her that she'd be overshadowed by the Holy Spirit and that she would conceive as a virgin, a child of the Holy Spirit, the savior of the world. And they were to name him Jesus or Yeshua for he would save his people from their sins. Mary could not fully comprehend that word and said, be it done unto me according to thy word. Can we say that? As the months progressed, Mary visited her cousin Elizabeth to tell her what had happened. Up until this point, John had not moved in Elizabeth, but when Mary came, the baby began to leap. 
and her greeting to her niece was hail mary full of grace the lord is with thee blessed art thou amongst women and any time you become acquainted with jesus at any level you become blessed or blessed amongst the people that don't know the lord this jesus was born in bethlehem and on the way to bethlehem mary asked joseph honey did you make a reservation at the hotel for us and joseph said oh no i forgot and that was the first silent night <laughs> sorry <laughs> there was no room in the inn he was born in a stable his cradle was a manger the angels of the nine choirs in the heavens blast out to the shepherd saying born to you this day in the city of David is a savior who is Christ the Lord and the shepherds went as shepherds to examine the Lamb of God who was to be the sacrifice the eternal sacrifice they found no spot no blemish a perfect lamb for a perfect sacrifice to bring a perfect salvation along the way wise men followed his star and brought responsible gifts they came via the palace of herod the terrible herod the great who built an astonishing temple matthew chapter 24 and they said we've come to pay homage to the prince that's been born and herod said well uh, when you find him please tell me they found the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes a swaddling cloth is a cloth with the genealogy very meticulously and carefully embroidered in there of who your forerunners were and that swaddling cloth authenticated the genealogical structure in chronological order of the Christ child and they brought responsible gifts one brought gold to refer to the deity of this God child born one brought frankincense an aroma for the sacrifice of praise that he represented from the tribe of Judah and another brought myrrh to deaden the pain of a sinless being living in a sinful world because it's very painful living in a place of debauchery when you are trying to live a life of perfection coincidentally or incidentally when he was now going to the cross some women offered him a drink with myrrh to kill the pain as a baby the myrrh was received to help him cohabit with sinners but on the way to his crucifixion he refused to deaden the pain because he was tempted in all points as we are yet without sin he wanted to feel the pain the worst of the worst of every human being Herod killed the babies in Bethlehem 
when he heard that he'd been double-crossed. Egypt received Jesus. After four years when Herod died and your enemies eventually do die, he returned to Nazareth. Turn to your neighbor and say, you will outlive your enemy. Amen. That's why you must love your wife. Amen. Because she'll outlive you. He went to Nazareth and there he was the carpenter's son. He was learning how to put things together. If you can't put things together in a physical realm, you won't be able to stand behind a wooden pulpit and put people's lives together. He spent all those years and when the fullness of his time came, he was released into ministry by his older cousin, the older priest John, to fulfill all righteousness. His cousin was from the Aaronic order of the priesthood and he was a prophet. He was from the priesthood of Melchizedek, but came to submit to the older priest so he could be released in ministry. This magnificent Christ, incomparable in every way, never wrote a song. We know he sang once after the Lord's Supper. He never wrote a book, even though he was the living word. Even though he was born in obscurity and was raised as a tender plant, he is the tree that stands by the rivers of water that cannot be moved. There was no comeliness about him that he should be desired. He was so powerful, yet so humble. It took one of the inside guys to identify him in the garden because even though he had such great power, he was so simple in every way. This magnificent Christ, there never was another. Every human being in time has had their match. Every human being that's been a champion, a legend, an icon has their match. In, uh, from Adam to the last man, every person has somebody that has their match. As a geologist, Jesus is the rock of ages. As a psychologist, he is the chief counselor. As a beautician, he is totally wonderful, the fairest of 10,000. As an alchemist, he takes that which is weak and makes it very precious and strong. As an economist, he takes those that are born in poverty. He became poor that for our sakes we might be made rich. As a politician, he gave us our rights to stand at the throne of grace where we can obtain grace to help us in time of need. As our lawyer, he has given us access by defending us. Amen. As our royal monarch, he has given us our kingdom rights from land to being princes and kings and priests with God. As an active apostle, he has given us access 
to revelation knowledge and to understand the mysteries of the kingdom of God. As a prophet, he has made declarations to us and in us, calling things that are not as though they already were. As an evangelist, he has harvested us in the net of heaven before we were like Jeremiah in our mother's womb. He came as an eloquent speaker. He came as a mystery maker. Sisters and brothers, every man has his match. You have Confucius, but he was matched by Gautama, Archimedes, Galileo, Homer, Plato, Hippocrates, Socrates and Aristotle. You have Nebuchadnezzar, Ahasuerus. You have Alexander the Great. You have uh, Julius Caesar. You have Augustus Caesar. He is matched, uh, Augustus is matched by Pompey and Cassius and possibly Brutus. You have August, you have Pope Gregory, you have Francisco, you have Ignatius, you have Polycarp, Irenaeus. And sisters and brothers, throughout history, every person has their match. Turn to your neighbor, say, he is unmatched. Please say that again, he is unmatched. Amen. My computer is not unmatched. It's giving me demons and criminals. Amen. <laughs> Sisters and brothers, he came as priest. He came as prophet. And he came as king. He is priest. He is prophet. He is king. Turn to your neighbor say, he found his notes. <laughs> Every person has their match. Amen. You have uh, Cicero and Marcus Aurelius. You have Ignatius and Polycarp. You have Gregory and Aquinas, Alcid and Charlemagne, Magellan, Vasco da Gama. You have Nelson, you have Marco Polo. You have uh, Napoleon, he was defeated by Wellington. You have Michelangelo, Leonardo da Vinci, Bellatelli, Raphael, Rembrandt, Picasso, Beethoven, Tchaikovsky, Mozart, Strauss, Byrne, Shakespeare, Wesley, Spurgeon, Booker T. Washington, George Washington Carver, John G. Lake, Seymour, Hitler, Mussolini, Churchill, Roosevelt, Babaloa, Idiosa, Parham, Bishop Mason, Kwame Nkrumah, Julius Nureri, uh, Kawunda, Seretsikama, Mugabe, Mandela, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King Jr., Oral Roberts, T.L. Osborne, Abacha, we have Guyan, 
Only a, a, you have a Ibu, you have a Yoruba. <laughs> Amen. Uh, you have Magic Johnson, you have Michael Jordan, you have Alex Ferguson, you have Arsene Wenger, you have Klopp, you have Pep Guardiola, you have Liverpool. Do I hear Arsenal? Do I hear Man City? Do I hear Wigan? Do I hear the Black Stars? <laughs> you have Adam, there's Enoch, Cain, Abel, Melchizedek and Abraham, Isaac and Ishmael. You have Esau and Jacob, Sarah, Rebecca, Miriam, Deborah, Moses, Aaron, stay with me, Hannah and Ruth, Joshua and Caleb, David, Jonathan, Ethan, Solomon, Elijah, Elisha, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, every man has the equal. You have James and John, Peter and Paul, Barnabas and Silas, Timothy and Titus, and the list goes on and on and on. Everyone has their match, but in all of the names we have listed, there's only one that stands alone. Jesus, the incomparable Christ. You can't put Muhammad next to Jesus. He rose from the dead. You can't put any martyr next to Jesus who shed their blood for a cause. We thank God for the blood they may have shed for a cause. But there's one that stands alone whose blood is living in the heavens on the throne of grace right now. He stands alone making intercession for you and for me. His blood will never lose its power. Not now, not ever. In fact, over angels, there's Michael and Gabriel, all of the angels bow down. They are under his command and every devil has been crushed under his feet. He stands alone. Shout three times, there's no one like Jesus. Come on. Clap your hands if you have to. There's no one like Jesus. The Bible is still the best-selling book ever. Ever. There are more songs written about Jesus than any other theme in the world. More books written about him than any books written in the world. Every single day, in particular on Sundays, he's the one that is spoken about the most than all features in the world. He's still an A-lister. He's still on the top of all the best sellers ever. He's Jesus. He is Christ. He is Lord. He is King. He is Apostle. He's author. He's finisher. He's beginning. He's the end. He's everything in between. He's the bread of light, life. He's the light of the world. He's the rock of ages. 
the sweet rose of Sharon he's Jesus who stands alone and to think that where two or three are gathered together in his midst that Jesus is in this place right now to heal you to lift you to forgive you to raise you to prosper you to encourage you give him a praise give him a praise you may be seated two minutes two minutes two minutes you may be seated he comes to us sisters and brothers he comes to us as our priest but just not as a priest his order is a celestial order he comes to offer sacrifices the function of a priest is to offer sacrifices we as human beings we come and offer the sacrifice of praise praise and worship is not just to come into his presence with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise we must give god what he deserves a sacrifice of praise that is the fruit of our lips giving praise to god praise and worship must cost you something you must serve the lord god with all your heart with all your mind with all your soul and with all your strength don't come after praise and worship come for praise and worship praise and worship is for him the word of god is for us praise and worship is to give him what he wants the word is to give us what we need that grows our faith faith comes by hearing comes by without faith it is to please god and so faith is the substance of so if you need something you have to have faith that comes that faith comes by the word that you receive and so he comes to us as priest to offer sacrifices no priest would have been able Caiaphas definitely not would be able to offer the Passover the lamb that he was the first Passover was in 12 of Exodus to celebrate 430 years of horrendous slavery and after nine plagues the tenth plague they killed a lamb that had been separated for 14 days no spot no blemish not blind not crippled it had to be killed bloodshed applied on the doorposts they were to roast that lamb eat it standing because that was the night of passover death because of sin was coming to all of egypt and the lord said when the angel sees the blood i will thank god for the blood there's power in the blood the blood washes whiter than snow there's victory in the blood i don't know why there are preachers in the world today who are taking blood out of the pulpit and say it is too gory have you watched any american movies every second scene is a scene with blood have you seen video games that kids are playing it's full of blood the only place they don't want us to talk about the blood is in church 
but the devil is a liar we overcome the devil by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony turn to your neighbor and say it's under the blood <laughs> say bishop peace is under the blood ah, by the blood of jesus devils tremble by the blood of jesus sins are forgiven behold the lamb of god who takes away the sins of the world the writer said this man entered in once into the holiest of holies and took an exhibit of his efficacious blood and when the father saw the blood all sin from adam to the last man that will ever be born washed away by the blood this priest stood up and gave an account of his work in the earth and when he descended into hell crushed that devil made captivity captive gave gifts unto men and on his way lifted up all those from the righteous from adam all the way to the person that died just before the crucifixion he said to the thief on the cross who acknowledged his lordship he said now today you will be with me you'll be the first beneficiary of this blood i have shed because the thief cometh not but for to steal to kill and to destroy so i gotta let blood come on this thief to reverse what that thief took in the very beginning shout i want it back i said shout i want it back as a priest he came with a perfect sacrifice as a priest he came with perfect blood as a priest he came with perfect passion as a priest he died with a perfect burial a perfect resurrection to fulfill god's perfect plan who has believed our reports and to whom is the arm of the lord revealed he was despised and rejected of man a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and we hid as it were our faces from him he was despised and we esteemed him not and surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows yet we did him esteem him stricken and smitten of god he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities the chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed all we like sheep have gone astray but the lord had laid on him the iniquity of us all he was oppressed and he was afflicted yet he opened not his mouth he was brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her sharers he was dumb so he opened not his mouth this jesus pure in every way this jesus beautiful in every way and god has given him a name that's above every name how sweet the name of jesus 
how precious the name of Jesus how transforming the name of Jesus how liberating the name of Jesus that at the name of Jesus every knee is going to bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God a song writer said take the name of Jesus with you child of sorrow and of woe it'll joy and comfort give you take it then wherever you go precious name oh how sweet hope on earth and joy in heaven Jesus is Lord everywhere in this universe clap your hands for the Lord Jesus he stands sisters and brothers as a prophet not just as a priest Jesus is the prophet oh yes he was he was the lamp in Abraham's covenant in Genesis 15 he was the ram on Mount Moriah caught in the horns in substitution for Isaac he was Abraham's priest Melchizedek after the battle he's Isaac and Rebecca's well he's Jacob's ladder he's Rachel's stone that was rolled away he's Judah's praise his Levi's offering his Joseph's coat of many colors his Israel's Passover lamb his Miriam's tambourine celebrating the defeat of the enemy his Moses rod that separated the sea sweetened the waters of Marah brought water out of a rock in Rephidim his Moses rock that he sat on when they defeated the Amalekites he's the manna for the children of Israel in the morning time he's the chicken for the children of Israel at evening time he's the clown by day he's the fire by night he's the tabernacle he's the courtyard the holy place and the holiest of holies He's the brass, the silver, and the gold. He's the water, the oil, and the blood. He's the manna that's in the ark. He's Aaron's rod that budded. He's the tables of stone. Can I preach this, Jesus? He's Joshua's trumpet, the seventh time around Jericho. And when that trumpet sounds, every wall around your life must fall. Jesus, sound the trumpet tonight. Bring down the walls that have kept African people down. He's Caleb's mountain. He's Ehad's left dagger, killing that king. He's Gideon's torch. He's Jephthah's valor. He's Samson's strength. He's Hannah's intercession. He's Samuel's prophecies, whose words never fall to the ground. He's Elijah's fire from heaven. He's Elisha's double portion anointing. He's the mantle that Elisha caught. He's Ruth's gleaning power. He's Boaz's field. He's 
Jesse's son. He's David the giant killer. He's the rock that killed the giant and the sword that cut off Goliath's head. Can I preach like I feel it? He is the praise in Ziklag when he David encouraged himself in the Lord. Up his Solomon's wisdom, his Ethan's eloquence, his Isaiah's prophetic view. He saw the smoke in the tabernacle, his Jeremiah's tears, his Ezekiel's four faces, his Ezekiel's valley of dry bones come to life. Can I preach like I feel it? His Uzziah's love for the undesirable, his Haggard's silver and gold, his Obadiah's possessions, his Zechariah's prisoner of hope, his Malachi window of heaven pouring out a blessing on your life that you won't be able to receive it. His Matthew's genealogy, his Mark's action man, his Luke's healer, his John's lover, he's the Holy Ghost in Acts, he's the justified by faith in Romans, his grace in the book of Galatians, he's the church in power in Ephesians, he's my God shall supply all of my need in Philippians. He's the perfected word in Thessalonians. Shout is Jesus. Give him a praise. Not only, not only is he a priest, not only is he a prophet, but he's also a king. The kings came in the beginning. King Nimrod was the first. Tried to build a kingdom for himself. And God said, you can't build a kingdom for yourself. Disperse the people. Other kings rose up. There was Nebuchadnezzar and Ahasuerus. Saul and David. Solomon, Rehoboam, you name the kings. But there's one king, when Caesar, when a pilot asked him, are you a king? He said, you say it. But then he said, my kingdom is not an earthly system. My kingdom is not of this world. I have a kingdom in the holy skies in the celestial world where earthly thrones are but footstools to me I'm a king above kings he's coming back not as a defeated man he's coming back not as a lamb slain he's coming back as king of kings and lord of lords oh hail king Jesus be king, rule in my heart. Jealousy will not rule on the throne of my heart. Hate will not rule on the throne of my heart. Selfishness will not rule on the throne of my heart. Poverty will not rule on the throne of my heart. No human being or system will rule on the throne of my heart. The throne of my heart 
is reserved for one king. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And he's coming soon to sort out this mess. He will judge the living and the dead. And so shall we ever be with this Jesus. He stands alone as a priest. He stands alone as a man. He stands alone as a prophet. He stands alone as a king. He stands alone as a savior. He stands alone as the author and finisher of our faith. He stands alone on the church he has built. Give him a praise. A few months ago I'm done I want to pray in a minute and in the meeting one of our leading how can I say this without divulging too much apostles in our group had traveled several times into northern Africa and he is being told that Jesus is appearing in Islamic groups one of them was in one village a man went to sit in the village square drinking his ridiculously strong coffee and he looked troubled and his best friend came was also troubled and few others came and he said why are you troubled to the oldest one he said I dreamt of Yeshua Jesus who came to me in the dream and said I am the Savior you have been looking for the second elder said I had the same dream the next one said I had the same dream in fact by the time the Sun had got to nine o'clock every man every woman every child had had the same visitation of this Christ I'm telling you Jesus is moving in the most unprecedented ways throughout the earth there is no way the devil's gonna get away with all the rubbish that he has put humanity through Jesus is Lord he's coming back for a victorious liberated powerful rich anointed church shout that's me he's coming back for people who have an understanding of who he is and what he has done shout that's me He's coming back for those who understand the finished work of Christ and what he's delivered unto us freely. Shout, that's me. He's coming back for those who understand the covenant he cut with us and we are beneficiaries of that covenant. Shout, that's me. If that's you, clap your hands and praise the Lord. Everybody's standing. It's time for us to receive our offering. I'd like to tag this a little bit on what Doc said in the first ministration this evening. Some people that may be struggling with forgiving something or someone. That might be you. 
a gift helps facilitate breaking those things because sometimes you want to move but there's stuff pulling you back your gift has a way of breaking things I have biblical examples of that King Saul had baggage in his life massive baggage massive what was holding him back from his destiny as king was the baggage he was carrying and his servant said you need a word from the Lord but you cannot go before the presence of the Lord without a gift which he did David's second horrendous sin was when he lost faith and numbered the army he was leaning on the arm of flesh and not having faith in God as in the beginning and God said to the prophet tell David six months to be fleeing in the wilderness from his enemies three and a half years of famine or three days of an angel destroying Israel David said I can't take three and a half years of famine our economy is performing too well I, I can't run in the wilderness from my enemies I'm an old man now I will take the three days of punishment and on the third day shout on the third day he raced because the angel was approaching Jerusalem had killed 70,000 and he came to Onan's threshing floor and Onan said you can have this David said I cannot I cannot get forgiveness I cannot get forgiveness that costs me nothing I want to pay the full price for this piece of land the threshing flow is a number of things which includes metaphorically revelation knowledge costs a lot to thresh out that wheat to make flour to bake a loaf you need a threshing floor that costs a lot and so David obtained forgiveness but was unable to place husbands that were lost fathers that were lost young men that had potential that were lost but he obtained forgiveness but couldn't repay we're not asking you to pay for anything we're asking you to be empowered so God can give you the ability to forgive raise that offering I'm also going to ask you to give an offering to acknowledge the Lordship of Jesus Christ in your life he owns everything and he wants to give you everything and sometimes we don't get everything because we are not ready to receive that and he's working a process in our life I'm praying for acceleration in your life the offerings pastor Matthew called for prepare those the ones we're calling for prepare those raise them up raise it high raise it high pray after me Heavenly Father we bless you for this convention we bless you for the theme of this convention we declare Jesus is Lord Jesus is King he is my priest he is my prophet he has forgiven me and I'm so grateful father receive my gift in Jesus name amen you are going to be ministered to 
by those in the house to receive your offering. Thank you, Bishop. God bless you. Bishop, peace. Thank you, my brother. Thank you for listening to another message. God's blessing be with you now and forever. For counseling, email trem at tremusa.org. Remain blessed.